Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Monday, we want to talk about USC's bowl preparations. It's starting to get going today, actually, uh, here on the Peristyle Podcast. We want to talk about that with Dan Weber, beat writer and columnist for uscfootball.com. Uh, you can check all his work out, of course, on the site, uscfootball.com. And we have some questions from all of you. So if you have questions for us, <laughs> podcast at uscfootball.com is our email, or if you want to call or text, you can do that at 424-254-9141. You're just driving around, not when you're actually driving, but you want to send us a text because you got some question for the podcast. 424-254-9141 is the number. Send it to us, and we will make sure to talk about it here on the podcast. And uh, let's jump in with Dan Weber talking about USC getting ready to play Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl. What is up, Dan? How you doing? Doing pretty good. Doing pretty good. Trying, trying to get ready to get back uh, on the practice field this week, which is uh, uh, is always fun, and uh, see how uh, how they handle the challenge of uh, both uh, the you know the time off and the time to get ready, and then the time to get ready for Ohio State. I think the 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 combination of things, and uh, you know. Uh, it's interesting. Clay has an interesting bowl record. Let's say uh, you've got the Wisconsin game and the and the Penn State game, uh, kind of two two different sides of the same coin. And then now you get a a third uh, Big Ten team uh, coming off a pretty good year, a pretty talented team, and uh, be very interesting to see uh, uh, how this USC team uh, prepares for Ohio State. Yeah, the. Uh... The bowl preparation, there always seems to be kind of, um, I don't want to say like negative connotation, or maybe that's the right word. Uh, certainly when Clay took the job a couple years ago and there was a whole bunch of staff members that were fired and uh, they really didn't utilize a lot of the practices and there was a lot of criticism. And then, of course, USC comes out and kind of lays an egg against Wisconsin. Uh, you know, last year, not as much criticism. They had more time to prepare. They didn't have... They had that week off for the Pac-12 championship game, so it was kind of like an extra week off, um, which, you know, they kind of like to do around this time of year. They like to take some time off. And, uh, yeah, I mean, they started off that game really good, and then it kind of got – there was a lull for a couple quarters that were bad, and then they came and they finished strong. So not a lot of criticism, I guess you could say, because, you know, they end up winning that classic Rose Bowl against Penn State. Uh, now, you know, where other teams were kind of practicing early, like USC got the week off for – Thanksgiving and for finals and, uh, you know, really had some, some time where they just weren't doing much of anything. And then now, uh, it's starting this week. So this is the actual bowl week. Most of the practices that, you know, are closed. We'll be able to go to a couple this week, but we finally got the schedule. Um, and we kind of know what's going to happen there. Maybe kind of give your thoughts on what you think of how this bowl preparation, these practices are set up and everyone wants to know, are they using all 15 practices? Cause that's always like kind of the, the number that people want. I don't even think that's the rule anymore. I think that's what used to be the rule. Um, but what, what are your thoughts on all that, the bowl prep, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems like uh, 
you know, they're coming off uh, today will be the first day in 10 days, I guess, they're on the field. So that, you know, seems like a, a decent amount of time off, to say the least, uh, after, um, you know, uh, taking some time off in the bye week. So it isn't like, you know, they've been you know, pushed real hard. Obviously, the 12-game straight uh, is something that everybody has reacted to, including Larry Scott, saying that'll never happen again. And after all these years where we were told sometimes that was just going to have to happen because of USC playing Notre Dame and flipping the game around, and it was just going to – there was just no way you could avoid that. And it turns out when they got enough criticism, they avoided it. And nobody <laughs> is going to play 12 straight. So, you know, welcome to the Pac-12. Uh, but USC has certainly made up, you know, for uh, having to play 12 straight games with, uh, with their uh, post-regular uh, season schedule and getting ready for Stanford and now getting ready for Ohio State. So, uh, so they've, uh, they should be fresh. They should have fresh legs, uh, you know, like crazy. And they're going to get five days off um, counting the travel day. Uh, next week they're going to go Monday, Tuesday, and then they're going to get five days, basically five days off, including the day they travel to Dallas before they pick it up, uh, pick practice up on, uh, on Christmas Eve uh, in Dallas. So, uh, so I think they've, uh, they've caught up uh, in terms of, uh, you know, being, uh, being fresh and, and refreshed and, and all of those things and given the injuries the most possible, you know, time to, to get, to get ready. We'll be interested to see, uh, tomorrow, uh, do we have a chance with maybe say a Porter Gustin, you know, is he there? Will he be there? Uh, that would be the, I guess the one really biggest question, uh, a possibility. Want to see, what shape Andrew Voorhees is in after concussion protocol knocked him out of the, the Stanford game. But, uh, but mostly I think we feel pretty good about, about the health of this team. And uh, so now it's just a matter of getting ready. And uh, will they use 15 days? They will not. Uh, and I think you're absolutely right. I don't think there is a 15-day limit anymore. I think a lot of people started using that uh, because they – they would tell you that bowl practice is uh, like a second spring practice. And so you get those, uh, the, you know, the same number of days that you get in the spring uh, you get for the bowl game. But uh, technically, I don't think there's a specific uh, uh, number uh, listed. So it looks like you could call it 12 or 13, uh, not knowing exactly how they're going to, you know, do things in, uh, in Dallas uh, and, and whether they're going to, you know, consider them, you know, absolute practices or not. So more than certainly, uh, you know, for the Wisconsin uh, Holiday Bowl a couple of years ago, probably about the same as they uh, as they did last year for the Rose Bowl. So uh, whether that got them ready or not, who knows? I mean, last year at the Rose Bowl, they looked really ready in the first quarter and the fourth quarter. They looked really not ready in the second quarter and the third quarter. So. You know, was that practice related or, or, or what it was related to? Uh, but this is a team of, uh, of contradictions. They, uh, and, the, and the season will, will give you a, a – this is a season of contradictions because, you know, here they are 12 straight games and, uh, you know, busting their tail and not getting any time off and then, uh, then getting a lot of time off. So uh, this, uh, this season – USC doesn't kind of take the middle ground. They kind of go – 
all the way one way or all the way the other way, and uh, and we'll see how this plays out. We will. And uh, before we jump into some of the questions, I wanted to tell our listeners all about SeatGeek. Because, you know, if you want to try to buy tickets to a sporting event, it can be complicated and confusing. There's a better way to buy using SeatGeek. It's the smartest way to get tickets to every type of live event, whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning a night out, or if you need to find that perfect gift. Of course, it's the holidays right now, so gifts of tickets are always great. SeatGeek will help you find the best seats at the best prices, and it's fully guaranteed. Nothing quite like seeing the Trojans in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. I do have the SeatGeek app on my phone. Just opened it up. So if you want to go to the Cotton Bowl, tickets are starting at 78 bucks. So that's not too bad. Uh, but it's great when you go in and you can see like the view of the different tickets, and they price them out and show you what the best values would be so you're not going to overpay uh, for the tickets. It'll save you a lot of money. It'll save you time because it's really easy. Um, you'll definitely get your most bang for your buck uh, using SeatGeek because they do grade all those tickets, like I said. All purchases are fully guaranteed, so you can shop for uh, on SeatGeek with confidence. And uh, so best of all, all listeners here on the Peristyle Podcast, you're going to get $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. So just download the SeatGeek app. Enter promo code USC today. That's promo code USC for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. And uh, Danny, I'm starting to get emails from some of my friends. Hey, uh, I think I want to go to the game. Do you have any lines on tickets and stuff? So I'm just sending them to SeatGeek right now. No, I agree. I love, uh, actually, just for the heck of it, love going on to, onto their website and seeing what tickets are available at what prices for different games and kind of comparing, you know, the Rose Bowl or whatever to, uh, uh, you know, the Cotton Bowl, let's say. What, you know, and just get a, getting a sense of where all the – the seats are available, say in the Cotton Bowl, and 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 you know it, it just they give you such a you know great picture of the stadium and uh, and the deals that are you know hundreds of different sections and how many seats are available and whether it's a good deal or, or not such a good deal and all that. And I think it's uh, it's fun to do that. I, you know, even if you're maybe not going to the game, you might just do it for the the fun of uh, of, of checking everything out. We, uh, you mentioned some of the, the storylines, Dan, for practice. Um, one we want to hear about is, uh, Tyson Helton is, uh, hey, did you take a job in Tennessee? Are you going to stick around? Like what's, or do you through the bowl game? So we haven't really got any kind of details on that yet, at least as I've seen. No, I mean, it makes sense. Uh, you know, Tyson, uh, uh had a lot of experience that, uh, you know, a couple of years at Western Kentucky for Jeff Brahms, very good staff were, you know, here's uh, Western Kentucky finishing in the top 25 a couple of years in a row and poor Tennessee just trying to figure out, you know, how, how to get out of their own way and, you know, probably averages uh, five to six times as many people at home as Western Kentucky right next door. Um, and then, uh, you know, he coached at uh, Alabama, Birmingham and Cincinnati, a lot of places where uh, you would fit right in to the kind of the Tennessee uh, uh, situation geographically, recruiting-wise, all that kind of thing. So, uh, you know, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, he gets a lot of credit for uh, for having been the quarterback coach with uh, with Sam Donald for two years. Uh, I think that's a big uh, a big plus. And uh, so, uh, I think it would would make sense to be the next. Uh, the next step, and it's a, a Tennessee staff that has a young, you know, defensive coordinator out of Alabama is going to be the the head coach. And it's interesting when you look at the new head coach of Tennessee. Much of what they tell you about him 
was his years coaching at Hoover High School, a really, you know, really good high school program in Alabama. But he's not that far removed, you know, from being a high school coach. So um, kind of an interesting, uh, interesting way. And if, uh, you know, if they go with, uh, with Tyson, they're going to be going with uh, a kind of a different, uh, a different approach to things at Tennessee. And, uh, and I think he'd make a good um, kind of companion coach with, I think they, Phil Fulmer said they, you know, interim AD Phil Fulmer, former coach, uh, won a national championship, said they wanted to go with discipline. And that's where they went with uh, Jeremy Pruitt. And I think Tyson would be a nice, uh, you know, counterbalance to that. He's, uh, you know, really positive, upbeat, you know, good guy kind of coach. And it, it might be good to have a staff where you've got, you know, one guy as the, you know, as the hammer. And the other guy is, uh, you know, the hugger and the handshaker and all that. And I think that, so that might be something that works, but I haven't heard anything yet uh, definitively on it. Yeah, so it'll be nice, uh, you know, practice today is closed. So we can't go check it out and see what's going on. But tomorrow we'll be back uh, practice in the afternoon and we'll get a lot of updates. Should have, you know, some newsy stuff happens in a couple of weeks when you're haven't seen the team and haven't been able to speak to anybody. So last time we got Clay on that, like, uh, Cotton Bowl conference call. I think that was the last time. So, um, yeah, none of none of the uh, coaching. I mean, the, really, the team art and stuff hadn't even. Uh, you know, we you know, there were thoughts maybe, but nothing. Uh, you know, definitive. And then you hear that. Well, there has been some talk, and uh, and all of that. We haven't really been able to you know catch up with anybody. They're recruiting uh, with the early uh, you know signing date and all that. That changes kind of the way the end of the season schedule works for, for the coaches and, uh, and for us. Uh, so yeah, tomorrow will be, uh, be, tomorrow will be fun. I don't know if we have enough time to talk to everybody we want to talk to, but, uh, there'll be a lot of, a lot of talking going on. Yeah, I think there will be. Um, uh, let's see, let's jump into some of these questions, Dan. We got Tarek. He said, do you feel that Stanford showed, uh, Daniel Metorbebe is fully healthy? No, I don't think he's ever going to be fully healthy this year. I, I don't think that. Uh, uh, I, I think there's some. I think there's always going to be some tightness in that uh, that hip flexor. Uh, uh, he doesn't have, you know, the ability to quite just completely open up uh, at this point. But I mean, I think he can be fully healthy as a functioning tight end as a blocker. I don't think there's any question that, uh, you know, for that, uh, you know, that close area, quick. Uh, footed uh you know movement that that you're talking about with blocking uh i'm just not sure uh, that he's ever going to be able to completely open it up and run uh you know completely free and loose uh i think it's going to take uh, a little more than that uh, uh and i just it just hasn't been enough time probably uh you know to get that get that worked out this year but i mean he's functional and, and you know if I had to put a number at it, you know, let's say in terms of, of getting down the seam and that maybe 95% at the top, 90 to 95%, which is pretty good. And comparing to, you know, comparing him to other, uh, other tight ends and not this USC tight ends, but just in general, that still puts him as pretty, uh, you know, pretty good ability to get down, down through the seam, but comparing him to where he might be had he been a hundred percent all year, um, he would be behind that. He wouldn't quite be 
the kind of threat that he was by the end of last year where he was really tough for uh, for teams to handle uh, with their secondary. I mean, he could really get behind uh, behind safeties and run away from linebackers. We had a question from Tom in Hermosa Beach, my town, Tom, where we're neighbors. He said, I, te- I tend to agree with Dan Weber on nearly everything, which is why I was shocked when I heard him after the UCLA game. How could he criticize our defensive backs when Jack Jones tipped the ball away that bounced off Iman Marshall's helmet? Is Dan expecting an interception on every play? Did Joan- Jones use the wrong fingertips to deflect the ball? Was Iman supposed to, quote, head the ball into a different direction? Sure, the defensive backs have had their problems this year, but that play wasn't one of them. Tom and Hermosa Beach. I'm trying to remember what play that was. Yeah, that was a a deep middle. I think what I would like to see is a little more uh, body control by really good athletes. I mean, we're talking about Jack Jones followed Iman Marshall as the number one uh, recruited athlete in the entire country uh, uh, in back-to-back seasons. So you would like to see when that ball goes up in the air, and this is what I, I, I would like with all the defensive backs, the ability to finish plays at the football and I, I, just being there. For example, the Stanford game, a perfect example where you had – Guys uh, in double coverage, bracketing receivers, you know, ball thrown in between them, perfect throws, but not having the ability to explode to the football, to both A, locate it, and then B, play it. And I just think those guys are too good athletes to, to have to be desperately fingertipping the ball when they're in position. I mean, and I think, you know, that's what I'd like to see more of. If that ball... Uh, hits your fingertips, I'd really like you to be in a position to be able to make a play on it and, and not, you know, not do what you know, we've seen done in uh, Hail Mary situations where, where they touch it, keep it alive, don't kill it. And that's, again, I think, I think that's practice and that's uh, uh, just uh, developing the sense of where you are, where your man is, where the ball is, and where the play is that you can make on the ball. And I just think uh, kind of in, if you're in position to make a play, I'd like you to make a play and not, not be tipping the ball and keeping it alive uh, without you having more control over, uh, the, over the play that you make on the ball. So, yeah, that's, uh, I do expect them. Uh, when you've got guys bracketing a receiver – uh, and in better position than the receiver, uh, which happened in both the UCLA and Stanford games, I expect the USC kids to make that play. Now, if it were flipped around, I'd expect the other team's defensive guys to make that play if you're in those kinds of positions. And if you're the kinds of athletes that Jack Jones and Iman Marshall are, I really expect you to, to make a play and not allow, uh, allow those completions. And those were big plays. And um, I think mean, they have to finish plays, and um, and that's something we're not seeing as much of, despite the secondary. You know, with all the interceptions they've got, you know, one of the, you know, better teams in the country in terms of interceptions, and still, uh, I think they've got more chances than uh, than they've uh, maybe taken advantage of. All right, thanks for that one, Tom. Let's go. We got Lamar. 
He just said he's from the desert. So somewhere in the desert, there's Lamar. Um, hey, Dan and Ryan. I look at a lot of NFL football, and I notice the plethora of talent in the league from Southern Cal, from Juju making plays as a rook on my Steelers, Everson Griffin on the Vikes, Tyron Smith uh, with the Pokes, uh, Clay's injured. So he's talking about Clay Matthews there. Robert Woods being the best receiver on the Super Bowl contending Rams. Although I think Clay made a play yesterday. I think he uh, he uh, uh, got to the quarterback on a play that became the big interception, as I recall. Oh, yesterday. nice. So, oh, so he's back then. Okay, I didn't. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't watch that. Uh, I think he was back yesterday. That yeah. was like a double overtime game too. So apparently it was pretty good. Um, I did watch the Rams. Like the Rams had lost that tough one last uh, yesterday or last night. That was that was a really good one. Um, he said, uh, Robert went to the Rams, just to name a few. Who do you think is having the most impact to their team this year? And do you believe that the Trojans retained the juniors that left early last, if the Trojans had retained the juniors that left early last year, that they would have beaten and made, uh, the playoffs this year, uh, Lamar in the desert. I think, um, Buck Allen had two touchdowns yesterday too. Uh, yeah, I was really, that was on six carries. So, uh, well, very good. impressed. He caught a, a, a really nice pass and he, uh, he had a, he had a one, uh, you know, power run up, uh, you know, inside, and then he uh, had a nice sweep where he just got inside the pylon. So, uh, really happy for him. <laughs> Poor Baltimore. They just, uh, I mean, nobody can beat uh, the Steelers at the end of games anymore. I mean, they got three straight, uh, you know, winning game-winning field goals in the last second, uh, which is what happened to Baltimore yesterday. But I was real proud of. Proud of Buck. I thought he did. Uh, he did a really nice job as the uh, backup tailback yesterday. And like uh, yeah. Nickel Roby uh, Coleman, I think his name is now. Like he had some yeah. nice plays in that Rams. Well, I thought uh, they missed some opportunities. I, I think the uh, the the crew. Uh, who was it? Was it Jim Nance and uh, and uh, Troy Aikman? There were a number of plays yesterday where uh, Nickel was one-on-one with uh, with Nelson Aguilar and basically ended up getting singled up with him and, and making plays against Nelson or Nelson and make plays against. And I thought they had an opportunity to point out that these two were playing, two USC kids playing on USC's home field after having gone against each other for years in practice, uh, were getting a chance to do it in a game that really mattered. Uh, and I didn't hear them pick up on that yeah uh, i think it was joe buck uh, and joe buck and uh, troy Aikman, it was joe buck i'm sorry with joe buck and I, I i wish they would have picked up on that because it happened uh over and over again it was pretty cool to see uh that you know you got to give nelson nelson credit man he is uh he's done he's really become an awfully valuable player for uh you know a team that's playing as well as anybody in the in you know in the nfl and 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 the cal was holding his own and uh uh, you know, just those, there are a lot of good stories, uh, USC stories yesterday. If you wanted to know what the biggest one is, I think it might be a guy who didn't play yesterday, Robert Woods, and just his effect, uh, attitude-wise, uh, and athletic-wise, athletically, on the Rams. I think he changes the nature of the Rams team and the Rams offense. And I think it was interesting to me that. They were talking midway through the season this year. You would hear the uh, whoever was calling the game saying, "We talked to the Rams coaches, and they didn't realize Robert Woods could run like he can run." You know, and we're all thinking, "Gosh, you know, was nobody paying attention?" 
to Robert in, in college. There was nobody paying attention, you know, to Robert in high school or you know, what he was doing in the, uh, you know, CIF track meet and all that kind of thing. But I guess that happens in the NFL. But I think Robert is really – he's just – I think his attitude as much as anything has infused – and obviously they get a new coach and they figure out some things that they can do with Jared Goff that he can do. Uh, you know, he's not going to have the greatest arm and in in, in all the other – Things maybe that you need to be a quarterback, but they've done nothing but smart, smart things with Jared Goff, and uh, and I think part of that was what Robert Woods brought to the table for uh, you know for the Rams this year. So he might have had as much of an impact as anybody. But uh, as you say, yesterday you just watched. The only thing missing, obviously, not only was Robert missing, but you know poor Juju was having to sit out, and I think he kind of got a bad deal until he stood over. Uh, uh, Vontez perfect, you know, uh, and and did he have to, you know, he he gets a crack back kind of blindside, and you know, he, even if you don't know it's Vontez, it's hard to not take that shot. What what's a guy supposed to do? Maybe nowadays you just have to screen screen the guy who doesn't see you coming, and 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 you maybe have to take the blow instead of delivering the blow or, or do you got you do a cross body block as opposed to driving through with with your helmet but as a result and 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 juju the surprising thing was obviously the stare down and the yeah. standing over and all that which is just you know every once in a while that might have happened but and, and some of that i think juju has a sense of the dramatic and i think he knows that he's he's kind of half you know just playing around and posturing because he's not a bad guy at all. But I think that caught him, and uh, so he ended up getting suspended yesterday. And luckily for the Steelers, it didn't cost them because uh, they kind of missed him yesterday, uh, and uh, they still made the comeback when they needed it. Yeah, that was uh, – I didn't have a problem. Like, the block is like, okay, I guess it's technically illegal, but – and you just – I mean, you would hear, like, other teammates, other people in the league – I don't think anyone had a problem with that because they know the way perfect is, and they all were saying karma and stuff. They felt like, yeah, it might be a little dirty, but he does that all the time, so it's it's nice to get him. I thought the hit was fairly clean. It was like going with the shoulder. It wasn't like it, he was some helmet-to-helmet thing. He just couldn't see it. But, yeah, the, the, if he just would have walked away and just, like, let him lay there, it would have been way better. I think you have a, it's a better effect, too. But standing over. But no, the, the weird part is, like. I if he had tried to pick him up and help him up. You know, yeah. That would have been even better. <laughs> Here, yeah. Vontez, let me help you up. But for him to get a game for that and the way Gronk went after that dude's head and he only got a game, yeah. it just didn't seem like – that just seemed one was way worse than the other. Yeah, I think he just got – he got penalized because of the nature of the Cincinnati-Pittsburgh uh, game. I mean, they were going to penalize somebody or two coming out of that game and because they got so much negative uh, publicity, uh, you know, for the way that game uh, went because it sounded like the whole world was watching and um, and uh, they didn't like the way that. So he got he got hammered for that. But he he learned a lesson. You can't you can't do the standing and posturing and staring and and all that. I just it's just it's a, not a good look. And it's not who Juju is. And so he really shouldn't do it. I mean, maybe the Steelers a little bit. Although mostly the Steelers just hit you and walk away, and they don't you know do a, do a whole lot more than that. Uh, and. It's, it's been perfect for Juju. Uh, yeah, he made a big impact, too. you got to give him credit. He's done things. I don't think even we who saw him, 
I think he's showing us a quick-footedness uh, that I don't know that we we always got a chance to see a, a bounce in his step. I mean, we, we knew he was strong, and we knew he was decently fast and tough, but he's showing a, a skill level, uh, and maybe part of that is at this level, uh, you know, you get a chance to do that, and he, he he's, you know, on a team with the best receiver in, in, in the NFL, so they can't put, you know, put their attention to Juju, which, uh, you know, in college uh, he did get, you know, the focus of opponents' defenses. Now they can't possibly do that to him, and he gets more of a chance to, to run free a little bit, and um, and he's also showing us something. But uh, it, it makes you realize what what a run of uh, receivers USC has had over, you know, these last five or six years. It's just pretty amazing. Uh, the one last part. Uh, Lamar want to know about uh, guys if they didn't leave early. Yeah, I think if Juju Smith-Schuster and Adore Jackson were still on this team, they likely beat Washington State and they're in the playoff. But I don't know. What do you think, Dan? Any one of them. I mean, really, if the if the if the big guys don't leave, that you know, say uh, uh, Zach. I mean, not Zach Banner, but uh, uh, Damian uh, doesn't leave. Just one more offensive lineman <laughs> for that game. You know, if they had one more guy healthy. Uh, that might have been enough. Uh, any one of those things, I think, yeah, definitely. Uh, I mean, just the difference of having a Dory as a senior uh, running back kicks. I mean, you, you screw up the other team's whole kicking game because they don't know what to do. Uh, and um, his ability uh, in a game like that, you know, to put him in on offense uh, when they needed a, you know, they needed a boost. And, and yeah, uh they win that game, I think, and they, you know, they, then they go into Notre Dame unbeaten, and that changes everything too, because you know, then they, they realize that the Notre Dame game is important. Like this year, they went into Notre Dame, you know, stunned at the fact that that was a really big deal game, which is kind of hard to imagine, but but that was the case, and uh, I don't think that would have happened if you had just had Adore and Juju along for the ride. Yeah, are they in the playoffs? Absolutely. I mean, without even a question, uh, they're in the playoffs. Sam, uh, no matter what other issues he had, doesn't have that uh, difficult start at the beginning of the season when he's trying to figure out who are my next go-to guys. Uh, And looking around, and one of them, uh, uh, Tyler Vons, is on the bench. Can't throw the ball to him if he's on the bench. Um, And... uh, you know, Daniel Matrababy not ready to go. So, yeah, uh, having uh, – and you could have thrown the ball to Dory too. So uh, they would have had – this would have been a whole different season. But, you know, other people can say the same thing. But this would have been a whole different year for USC if those guys would have stayed. Jeff, the math teacher, says, Hey, guys, happiest of holidays to you. Thanks, Jeff. You as well. Uh, thanks for all you do. Two questions. One, I read in the paper that Larry Scott said something like, Parity is the ultimate measure of success. Did he really say that? Did he really say that? Um, well, it's his ultimate measure because if the more, uh, let's say, if you got a 12-team league and now, let's say, nine or ten of them maybe are slightly better than they were, uh, that's how you get four-year extensions of your contract and more than $4.2 million a year salary because – Everybody is like, boy, this is this is working well, and a number of those teams don't think they're going to the playoffs, so they could care less 
about whether USC is going to the playoffs. That's USC's problem as far as they're concerned. But uh, Ryan actually came up with that thought uh, when I told him before the game we were going to get a chance to uh, ask Larry. And so I asked Larry because Larry finished up his his uh, uh, he did a post uh, press conference uh, before the USC Stanford game, and he finished up talking about how much the league has come up in terms of the you know the the weaker teams and the, uh, the more facilities and more money for coaches and things like that. So he basically ended up with the uh, in parity great. And I asked him, uh, would you rather have parity or a playoff team? And he realized, okay. Now, I got to answer because he's trying to make the point that USC should be considered. It was very late to try to make that point. He was trying to say USC overcame the 12 games without a bye. They overcame having to play Friday night game at Washington State, which, of course, the Pac-12 required USC to do, and how they had to play Notre Dame, uh, you know, in the middle without a bye when Notre Dame took a whole week off a of class and had a bye to get ready for that game. So he's trying to make that point. And so it was It was the time to ask him, which would you rather have, somebody who's got a shot at the playoffs uh, or somebody you've got to make the case for to the rest of the country? Please, please pay attention to us. we got to, you know, we got some good teams. And he finally did say he'd rather have parity, parity because that means all 12 teams are doing better, even if the top team is, is, uh, is handicapped. As a result of that, he'd rather have the, the 12. And, you know, if you're a politician and, and your, you know, contract and everything else depends on getting all those uh, teams to, to back you, then you're going you're gonna to go that route. And uh, that's the route he went, yes. And then second one, he said, hypothetically, if USC retains all of its players and coaches for next year without any NFL defections or staff changes, would you consider them likely favorites to make the four-team playoff? Jeff, the math teacher. Oh, absolutely, absolutely favorites to make the playoffs. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, if Sam, if Sam comes back, if, Ron, if Sam and Ronald come back, uh, yeah. Uh, even though maybe you'd like to see some things done differently coaching-wise, coaching, coaching wise, uh, that team would probably be very difficult to miss out on the playoffs, I think. Uh, I, would, I would find it... Um, not likely that they would miss out on the, on, on the playoffs. I mean, let's face it, they had kind of an ugly year this year and almost made the playoffs. I mean, you know, and you could actually make a case. I mean, nobody really deserved to be in that fourth spot in the playoffs this year. Uh, you could have been flipping coins, and one of the coins you would have flipped would have been USC's. I mean, you know. Everybody had reasons not to like them for the playoffs uh, for that fourth spot. So, uh, so you know, if you thought, yeah, they, you know, they were certainly in consideration this year, even if you know they ended up eighth. Um, uh, next year, absolutely, yeah, no question. All right, thanks for that one, Jeff. Let's go to uh, Frank. If USC were to beat Ohio State uh, by a substantial margin. Do you think it would make a lasting impression on the college football playoff committee as far as weighing the Pac-12 versus the Big Ten teams next year? Same question for the Stanford-TCU game. Thanks for all your hard work and this year to bring some clarity. USC season fight on from Frank. That's hard. To, I mean, I think, 
they don't like to be embarrassed, no question about it. I mean, for example, I think the reason they – and it's easy to say, well, it's the SEC or whatever. I think the reason they put Alabama in as number four is they didn't want to be embarrassed with people saying, wait a minute, this team you guys were voting first most of the year and second at the worst, you dropped them out of the top four? Are you kidding me? Were you that dumb? Did you not really get it? Did you think Alabama was any good? And then all of a sudden they play one good team, one relatively decent team, Auburn, who already had a couple of losses. And uh, and they've got a pro-style quarterback that nobody else Alabama had faced had. And they get beat because they can't really defend them that well. And yet they didn't want to admit that. See, they didn't go into any of that kind of analysis uh, of uh, they didn't go into an analysis that said, um, let me see, this is probably one of the weakest years we can remember in the SEC, um, but let's put two SEC teams in the playoffs. Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, we'll do that. No, they don't do that. They they didn't want to drop Alabama out, and this was the way they could do You know, they just said so they didn't, and they – you can forget arguments about strength of schedule or what did you do in the bowls. Try to remember what happened in the bowls last year. I think they got embarrassed last year, didn't they, the SEC? So what? Nobody cares. They'll do whatever they want. Now, USC might be enough of a different if, – if, if they had a big – you know, if you had a romp and you start raising hell, the problem is who would raise hell for USC? Would anybody say anything? Not that we know of. We might. You know, Ryan and I. But who else is going to say anything? You know, and say, yeah, see, we, you guys, you know, weren't paying attention. You didn't. You know, nobody will. So, and it's hard for the Pac-12 even to do that, because the more they talk about USC, the more the other 11 get unhappy again, and they don't want to be unhappy. So it's really hard for the Pac-12 to make the case for USC. So. Uh, uh, I would guess if that happened, they still might not pay that much attention to it if they thought they could get away with it. If they didn't think they could get if for example, if ESPN jumps on the bandwagon, but let's face it, the ESPN doesn't make any money from the Pac-12. So therefore, you know, I mean, watch ESPN Sports Center now, and you see like seven NBA games when you're thinking, gosh, isn't this a college football Saturday or whatever, and, they, and you realize, oh, wait a minute. They've got a multi-billion dollar contract with the NBA. So they're going to feature NBA or whatever. But they're never going to feature the Pac-12 in a way unless USC is to the point that they were under, you know, Pete when they're winning national championships and going, you know, 30 or whatever, four straight games without all that kind of thing. Um, And you force them uh, to pay attention. But otherwise... Uh, it's hard, uh, I think, for, for them to make the point. It's hard when you're playing your best, you know, your top games in the Pac-12 uh, starting at, you know, 1030 on Friday night uh, in the East Coast. I mean, how do you make those people pay attention to you? They don't have to. They don't care. Yeah, they certainly don't. And uh, it's a problem for the conference. It's a problem for Larry Scott. And uh, I think USC needs to push back more. Uh, on on the conference and Larry Scott to make sure they get uh, fair treatment. Um, yeah, they got to say more no. They just have to say like they they send you a schedule that says you're going to Washington State on a short week. Um, 
on a Friday night and you say, no, we're not doing that. Yeah. No, that's bad for the conference. It's bad for us, bad for our athletes. Uh, uh, figure out a different way. We're not doing that. Before we jump, uh, finish the rest of the questions, I wanted to remind everyone, you got to check out Trader Joe's. Uh, go to TraderJoe's.com. They've been a sponsor for the Parastyle podcast uh, for this whole football season. We've been loving it. It's great. Uh, my wife and I love going. There's a new one that opened this year in uh, Hermosa Beach that we can even walk over to. And, of course, at USC and the University Village, uh, they got a you know, where the dorms are and these awesome dining hall, you have a Trader Joe's for all the guys, you know, the guys and gals can come down from their dorm room or whatever and, and pick up some snacks or whatever they want at Trader Joe's. So pretty special. It wasn't like that when I was in college, but it's a, it's a really neat thing. I know it's done really, really well uh, for Trader Joe's. And I think the USC students love it, uh, having it, having it be there. They've been in business for 50 years. And uh, like I said, my wife and I love going. Um, if you want to pick up some, wine and cheese to kind of sit outside and enjoy the day or, you know, pick up a six pack of beer or something. If you want to do any kind of tailgating work, I think I know a lot of people talk to us about heading over to Trader Joe's for that, but you can also pick up the staples, everyday stuff you would get, uh, you know, anywhere. Uh, you get great prices on eggs, milk, bread, butter, things like that. So um, it's been great. Uh, we, we love working with Trader Joe's and make sure you go check them out they don't have a twitter you can uh it's trader joe's on instagram so if you're an instagram person you can go there or go to traderjoes.com and dan i know uh, you're a fan i'm a yeah i'm a big although i'm um i'm anticipating that uh for the holiday season they get in my i'm going to keep saying this so i get it my <laughs> corn pudding that trader joe's specializes in and i don't know uh, I, I saw the other day somebody, there was a re, my wife was checking out recipes for the holidays, and one of them was a recipe for corn pudding. And he said, well, it's not quite as good as Trader Joe's corn pudding, but it's really good. Nice. So anyway, I'll just keep, uh, I'll just keep throwing that out there because uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, them uh, getting the uh, holiday supply of corn pudding in. Nice. All right. Uh, we've got a few more questions. We'll let you go. Oscar wrote in. Hello, guys. This question is for Dan or Ryan. With all the head football coaches fired by universities this season, Fox, ESPN, SI, etc., always had a list of replacements or hires for each school. My question is, why wasn't Clay Helton's name ever mentioned or at least rumors that some school X had contacted him? He's, he's got a record of 27-9 and nine as a head coach, good recruiter, seems to be liked by everyone, so what gives? Also, when Pete Carroll was a coach, was there ever another university that almost – uh, pride him away from USC. Guys, have a wonderful holiday season with your family. Fight on. Beat the Buckeyes, uh, Oscar. Yeah, Oscar, I think you answered your own question there. With um, uh, I don't think we ever heard a single uh, Pete Carroll might go to this school or that school. You figured, hey, you know, where is up, up you know, from, from USC at that point? Uh, so I think that's one of the reasons. I mean, I could have made the case that um, – that say if you're Auburn and, and, and Clay Carroll had been an Auburn football player and Gus Malzahn leaves, uh, if I'm Auburn, maybe I, you know, just feel, uh, you know, feel out, uh, you know, the possibility very quietly with somebody like Clay. Uh, but other than that, not a lot of places make any sense. I mean, they just don't, I mean, uh, 
it just uh, it, it's hard to come up with a school and say, oh yeah, that'd be a good fit. I mean, there might be some schools that that you could say. I mean, I don't know that there's any other than, than you know, if you want to throw Alabama in there and say, well, that's not not a lateral move, and that's you know that's because of Saban, but. Is there a school out there that's not a lateral move for uh, for USC football coach? I don't I don't think so, and I don't think there's a, a sense of of Clay having any interest in, in the NFL as we knew Pete did, uh, which is why the rumor you know works so much uh, you know with Pete in the NFL. But uh, so I think that that's the reason there's just not another school that makes sense, and and there's no NFL interest. So uh, so you know. I don't, I, I just don't think you're going to hear many, uh, many Clay Helton rumors. Yeah, I agree. I think with Pete Carroll, I mean, he was a West Coast guy already. There wasn't just going to be anything where he could go. If Clay Helton was like jonesing to get back, you know, go back to Auburn or something, and you know, that was going to come open, you know, maybe something like that. But I think, you know, a lot of the USC fans that are kind of frustrated, I don't think people are looking at Clay Helton yet as – He's 27 and nine and is like the mastermind of what's going on here. I think a lot of people just feel like it's USC. I mean, that's why he didn't get voted Pac-12, you know, coach of the year by the other coaches. Some people just think like, yeah, the USC has talent. They're just doing whatever. I think for Clay Helton, if the NFL or uh, like an Auburn or someone else would like try to make a run at him, it would probably take a couple more years of, um, continued success, a playoff run, things like that. Then I think he'll start to get more credit. It's just he's not getting a whole lot of credit these first couple of years. Fair or unfair? I just I don't think he is. Um, but he, I think he start he will going forward. But like Dan said, even if he gets a lot of credit and he makes some kind of run and he's you know winning Pac-12 titles and and you know New Year's Six bowl games or winning playoff games, it's still like. Okay, it's hard to go get USC's head coach. Like people have tried to make a run at at Nick Saban, but you're like, you know, you're at Alabama already. It's hard to go unless there's like a real specific reason, uh, you know, why. It's not like you know Willie Taggart at Oregon. Yeah, that's a great job, but it's you know it's like a top twenty job. It's not a top three or four job like USC. So if someone from your home state or whatever comes calling, that's something you can listen to. You know, you can listen to when Lane Kiffin was at Tennessee. You know. That's usually a pretty darn good job, but he had a chance to go to USC. So it's like there's, you know, it, maybe there's like one or two schools that could make a run or something like that. But to me, I just think it's a combination of USC is not the school usually plucking head coaches away from for other co- other college jobs. And Clay Helton's probably just not getting a lot of credit yet. No, I think the. I think, you know, the, co- the coaches and the, and the coach of the year and the coaches voting, I think a lot of them just look at USC's roster and they just say, well, if I had that roster, you know, and that's easy easy to do. And you hear every single one of them talk about USC's talent and all of that. So so uh, for a USC coach to get that kind of recognition, you've got to really make a championship run, uh, a national championship run. I don't think there's any, or just, you know, anything less than that. And, you know, everybody might like you, uh, you know, as a person and all of that, but they're going to say, well, yeah, it's USC. They ought, they ought to do that. Um, so, you know, you're comparing yourself with, uh, with four guys, uh, you know, Howard Jones and, and John McKay and uh, uh, John Robinson even and, uh, and Pete Carroll, who were, you know, national champions and, and, and put programs on the field that people – 
compared everybody else to. And, and that hasn't happened yet, you know, for Clay. And so that would have to happen. And even then, like for John McKay and Pete Carroll and, and John Robinson, it really pretty much takes an NFL, you know, author. And for, for Clay, that, that just doesn't seem to be in play. Yeah. We got Tark with an M. I'm sorry, Tark M. Tark with a Q. He says, with USC's limited staffing in comparison to other blue blood programs, I don't think we can afford to have subpar coaches who also don't recruit well. I'm specifically referring to Coach Bradford. The defensive backs have struggled all year, and it's not due to talent. Coach Bradford doesn't like to address the media, and I've heard you all say that he isn't interested in recruiting. Can you explain what he's good for? Uh, Seems like we could find someone that can recruit better and do a better job developing talent. Tarek with a Q. Kind of harsh there, Tarek, but okay. Yeah, Tarek. I think, I mean, I wish we knew a little bit more of, of all the ins and outs of the recruiting part of that, what you just said. It's really hard. You know, per, I mean, first of all, they're not allowed to, you know, to publicize that much of, of what they're doing. And um, so, uh, you know, that's a hard, that's a hard part of that, you know, that equation. And, and, and there is a sense that maybe USC is a little understaffed in terms of, of the support, the support guys, although, uh, you know, they seem to be working, working pretty hard at it. Um, I, there's an interesting thought about whether those people ought to be able to do so much of the work that the coaches just finish things off and that, that they just, they shouldn't have to be spending all this time. And they can't really now with the earlier, you know, uh, signing date, They've made it you know, hard for coaches to be away and be recruiting uh, when they're coaching. So, you know, you may see more of a, a move where the coaches coach and the recruiting staff sets things up and then the coaches finish it off. I mean, Clay, for example, I think is really, really good in home, uh, you know, finish, you know, a guy that, that, that can sit down with a family and, and really make a good pitch. Uh, he's just so sincere. And so, you know, believes in, uh, in USC as, as, you know, as a school and a program and a destination. And, and I think he does, a, you know, a really good job of that. And the head coach has to be able to do that. But, uh, but as far as the recruiting, you know, component of, of assistant coaches going forward, I don't think we know where that's all going to be. As far as the on-field stuff, I mean, uh, that you can look and, and say you are as good as, the players you produce and, and, and their production on the field. And that's kind of, you know, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, they do have a lot of interceptions. So, uh, you know, they're one of the, you know, the better teams in the country intercepting the football. And yet they've had a lot of misses too. I mean, this is, this is a team that, you know, it's a home run or strikes out and, uh, and they're giving up a lot of yards and they're giving up a lot of big plays. Uh, and so, and there have been probably more busts uh, in coverage than you'd really like to see with a relatively veteran veteran group. So, um, you know, you can certainly make the case that you'd like to see things uh, improve there. Uh, and if you said, you know, where would you like to see the improvement more, you know, more at what, what position group, um, that one might be the one you'd say, well, this is the one I'd like to see, uh, you know, first. 
and what does that do in terms of of you know the you know the coach that's uh, responsible for that group you know we'll see uh i think you know that it still has to be played out in terms of the staffing and, and where does this go and uh, i know last year they were very happy and talked a lot about we kept basically kept the staff together and brought in Dylan mccullough who was a, a just a terrific hire and how important to have that that kind of uh you know ability to to keep the staff intact whether that's still going to be uh you know the theme of this off season i don't know after a season of uh you know some really um uh inconsistent uh production uh, at different position groups uh, uh but you you know you make a strong case and uh and we'll see how that plays out one last one from Neil in Manila. Is there any chance Darnay Holmes transfers to USC? He's talking about the five-star freshman defensive back at UCLA. Sad because he was about to commit to USC until his dad forced him to commit to UCLA for Demetrius Martin, who is no longer the DB coach of UCLA. That's Neil in Manila. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big transfer guy <laughs> in terms of, you know, if – if they want, if somebody wanted to go to UCLA, I think that's fine. And if the family, you know, made that made sense, uh, that's fine. Uh, and I would think there are better places to go and find, you know, the next player that you need in the secondary. It would be, uh, I'm just not somebody who really uh, wants to think about or encourage or hope for transfers. It's just. It's just not what a program like like you. I mean, there may be some special circumstances, but for a program like USC, I'm just not sure that uh, transfers are necessarily. Every once in a while, junior college kid makes absolute sense, but uh, I'm just not sure that that's the way uh, a USC needs to go. All right, Dan. Well, hey, great stuff. Appreciate you coming on and. Uh chatting about the trojans and uh we will look forward to seeing you out there practice tomorrow and uh we'll, we'll get we'll get more scoop what's going on this week i'll look forward to it as well this is uh this is inter- this is gonna be an interesting week uh so stay tuned everybody uh uh maybe some of the answers to your questions uh will emerge uh by the end of the week we will see hopefully that does all right well that's dan weber Make sure you check them out uh on uscfootball.com thanks to uh SeatGeek and trader joe's for sponsoring our this, uh, this episode of the Peristyle Podcast. And we thank all of you for tuning in and listening to our little show. So we'll talk to you next time. Thanks so much for tuning in. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices, every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 